Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. This week, Middle East unrest spreads to Syria. There is this haunting fear that a collapse in stability will lead to another Balkans in the sands, as it were, of the type that they witnessed on one border in Iraq and on the other border in Lebanon, leaving out of this equation that Syria actually helped foment both. American politics and the Libyan intervention. It's been a peculiar war in the sense that the president, with troops on the ground both in Iraq and Afghanistan, hasn't got much of a boost in his opinion rating from taking the the country to war, which is what normally happens. In fact, it's ticked down slightly over the last week, which is very, very unusual. And Japan struggles to deal with the devastation and tragedy of the tsunami. The recent death toll plus the number of people confirmed missing comes to uh, around about 27,000. But that doesn't include a lot of people who the governments, the local governments of the various areas affected um, haven't been able to establish the whereabouts of. You're listening to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. First, let's go to the Middle East. And joining me in the studio to talk about matters there is the FT's international affairs editor, David Gardner. David, there's obviously turmoil all across the region, but let's look at Libya first. We've seen the defection of the Libyan foreign minister, Musa Kusa. How significant is that? It could be significant if you think of this war as running on three rails. I mean, the first is clearly the coalition efforts to destroy as much of Gaddafi's armed capability, and in particular his armour, as possible creating possibly a situation as time goes on among Gaddafi's forces, some of his loyalty is bought, some is coerced, that the game may be not worth the candle. Parallel to that, to erode the regime, and this is where the defection of Musa Kusa, a key figure throughout uh, the last two or three decades at Gaddafi's side comes in. The more that that happens and the smaller the core of Gaddafi's support, then those two prongs could come rapidly together in a way that you can't possibly anticipate. You could see something like an implosion. I think part of this, which is quite interesting, I mean, there's been so much debate about the incoherence in the broad coalition of those who say the man must be put on trial and those who say, why don't we negotiate some kind of bolt hole for him in Mali or wherever. I think there's a quite interesting creative tension there that would prey on the minds of his entourage. Do they want to appear in the dock alongside Gaddafi? Or if there is a bolt hole, shall we take it? And then, of course, the third prong, the opposition is not looking terribly robust at the moment. But those first two might put the opposition in a position where, as it did earlier in the week, it can just march in. And meanwhile, of course, this continues to be one part of a broader regional story. And the other very dramatic story this week has been Syria. 
where there have been demonstrations and where a lot was expected from this public address by President Assad. But he seems to have disappointed those who hoped that he was going to announce reform. Oh, massively so. I mean, gunfire started in Latakia, which is close to the Alawite heartland, the Alawites being the underpinning of the Ba'athist regime. No, this speech was after the prior billing that had been given by Assad's aides turned out in the end to be a mixture of really rather swaggering arrogance on his part and orchestrated sycophancy on the part of his audience. Since when, some people set store by the fact that he has, in the time-honoured fashion, formed a committee to discuss how to replace the emergency law in position for 48 years, the entire period of Ba'athist rule. But... I think given the track record and given some of the other things that he said in his speech, which I'll come to, what you're likely to see is the emergency law lifted, but anti-terror and security legislation put in place, which fulfills exactly the same purpose and provides the same level of impunity to the ubiquitous security services that sustain his rule. You said that there were other things that struck you as significant in the speech. What were they? Two things. One... His quasi-apology for having not moved reform forward fast enough and the reasons he gave were the permanent crisis around Syria, uh, 9-11, the war in Iraq, the Israeli invasion of Lebanon 2006, and so on and so forth. But on that basis, I suspect there will always be an alibi never to move forward, which stitches into the second main trope in his speech, his insistence that what they were facing was a conspiracy based on sedition and this very evocative Arabic word fitna, the the, the fermenting of sectarian strife, which has an extraordinary echo in a country like Syria, where it's essentially minority Alawite rule in alliance with sectors of the, the Sunni bourgeoisie. But 70 or 75% of the population is Sunni. And there is this this haunting fear that uh, a collapse in stability will lead to another Balkans in the sands, as it were, of the type that they witnessed on one border in Iraq and on the other border in Lebanon, leaving out of this equation that Syria actually helped ferment both. Trying to sort of take a step back, how likely do you think he is to be able to use a combination of this rhetoric and the entrenched security forces just to hang on? Because I think early in the kind of Arab Spring, as people are now calling it, we got used to the idea that this might be a series of dominoes, Tunisia, Mm -hmm. Egypt. But the next dominoes are not really falling. I mean, Bahrain has stayed in place, Libya's fighting back. Do you think the Syrians will be able to hang on? Tunisia and Egypt are fairly homogeneous states, and the most like European traditional nation-states in the region. Most of the other countries that we're talking about, let's leave the Gulf out of it for a moment, but certainly in the Levant, are bolted together from the debris of the Ottoman Empire, and they're highly heterogeneous. So Syria is a bit like Saddam Hussein's Iraq, minority rule, in which any challenge to that tends very quickly to become a fight to the death. So I don't think you will see in Syria much yielding 
on the part of the regime. But then they have to consider that what, what the logic of taking that path is. It does lead to not reform, but eventually to revolution and, and the possibility of significant bloodshed. David, thank you very much. Uh, to end on that rather bleak note. Now, picking up off that, America's reaction to the war in Libya. The Obama administration's emphasised that it's not taking the lead in the conflict, or at least it doesn't want to. But that stance is proving controversial at home, as the American military warn of a prolonged conflict. I'm joined now in the studio by the FT's comment editor, James Crabtree. The Libyan war's ongoing. There's also an ongoing political debate in America, and Robert Gates, the Defence Secretary, has seemed to be trying to prepare the US for really quite a prolonged conflict now. Yes, I mean, President Obama, when he gave his big speech on the topic, was trying in a rather serpentine way to thread the needle between the two different sides of his administration. Some in the State Department who are quite, well, I won't say pro-war, but who are very keen to intervene and thought that there was much good that could be done. And the Pentagon, and particularly the Defense Secretary, who's now gone public with misgivings that they could be drawn into a long stalemate. And it now increasingly looks like that's going to be the case. And uh, does it look as if the Pentagon's going to get its way and hand over military operations really quite quickly to the Europeans, if that's sustainable at all? Unclear, I would have said. The problem is the vast majority of the military operations are being undertaken by the Americans. Uh, so if you stop that and rely solely on the British and the French, then there is a danger that the, uh, the, the, the stalemate will become unbalanced in favor of Colonel Gaddafi. So it's unclear the extent to which they'll be able to do that. But there's certainly huge pressure from the Pentagon to try and do that as quickly as possible. Meanwhile, what's the state of political and, and public opinion in the U.S. on this war? Presumably, President Obama's being criticised from both sides by those who feel he's not going hard enough and those who feel we shouldn't have got in in the first place. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's been a peculiar war in the sense that the president, with troops on the ground both in Iraq and Afghanistan, hasn't got much of a boost in his opinion rating from taking the, the country to war, which is what normally happens. In fact, it's ticked down slightly over the last week. He's been on an upward public opinion trajectory since Christmas, and it's just slight, slightly gone down over the last fortnight, which is very, very unusual. Yeah, in Washington, he's being hit from both sides, from humanitarian groups on the left of the Democratic Party and some Republican hawks who criticize him for not leading, for not going fast enough, and on the other hand, from realists. And against the backdrop of all of this, you have the brewing uh, presidential election in which you have more Republican candidates coming forward and a lot of people trying to figure out the politics of this over the next few weeks. Do you think it's possible the Republicans will position themselves as the anti-Libyan intervention party? I think it's very unlikely. It's not impossible that you will have an isolationist Republican candidate. I mean, odd though it might seem, we're already hearing rumours of Rand Paul, the recently elected senator and son of Ron Paul. He is an isolationist and he uh, represents a strain within the American right and the Tea Party, which doesn't want anything to do with foreigners and a potentially popular one. However, the mainstream of the Republicans, whether or not that's on the, the neocon side, which would take in people like Sarah Palin, but would be wider and also the more traditional side that it would include Mitt Romney, much more hawkish and I think are likely to support intervention rather than oppose it. James, thank you very much. And finally to Japan, a country still struggling to come to terms with terrible tragedy. On the line now from Tokyo is Mio Dickey, the FT's Tokyo bureau chief. Mio, could you just update us? Where are we with the nuclear cleanup? It seems to have slightly gone out of the headlines across the world, but does that mean that they're on top of the problem now? No, I don't think we can say they're on top of the problem. In fact, it, it, it's not you know, even really close to being at the cleanup stage. We're still at the battling the crisis stage. There has been uh, a few days without the kind of dramatic worsening of the situation that we'd seen earlier in the crisis. 
considerable progress has been made in some areas, like bringing power to the plant and establishing more reliable ways of, of pouring water into the reactor halls. So I think progress has been made, but in the process, other problems have appeared, such as the large amounts of highly irradiated water uh, within the plant environments, which seem to be leaking into the sea. And are people yet clear on what the health effects are, or are they in any sense reassured? Because I've heard some nuclear experts saying, well, actually, even given the, the shock at what's going on, there will probably be very few deaths from this. Do people believe that? The, the atmosphere in, in Tokyo and other more distant uh, areas, you know, places that are a couple of hundred kilometres or more away from the plant, um, uh, has become a bit more relaxed. And there was a sort of scare in Tokyo when the government announced that radiation levels in water were above the limit for feeding to, uh, to infants. But then I think people have realized that those are, are pretty precautionary levels and there isn't an immediate short-term um, health problem even at that point uh, from the water. And in fact, the radiation levels in the water fell quite quickly after that. And so people are sort of beginning to get a sense that, uh, that if you are far away from the plant, you're not in immediate uh, peril. And that uh, quite possibly, I think the consensus view at the moment is that the, any health hazards are likely to be very localized. Meanwhile, however, we already have this absolutely horrific toll from the tsunami and from the earthquake. I mean, how many people do we actually now think died uh, as a result of that? We simply don't know. And, and in fact, it's not clear when we will know. The recent death toll plus the number of people confirmed missing comes to uh, around about 27,000. But that doesn't include a lot of people who the governments, the local governments of the various areas affected um, haven't been able to establish the whereabouts of. Clearly, it's been absolutely devastating for many of the, the towns and villages. There's something like 150,000 buildings seriously damaged or destroyed. Lots of people still in very basic conditions in refuge centres. Other people uh, living in convention centres, uh, hostels. Have they even begun to think yet about uh, how to rebuild? Yes, people are thinking. Uh, it, it's, it's early days and... It's going to be a very complicated process, deciding who decides what. So the, the money is going to come from the central government, but the, obviously everybody recognises that it has to be the local communities that have the final say in, in what sort of shape is their future. Um, the, there's questions, major, almost philosophical questions, about whether houses, for example, should be rebuilt in areas that were devastated the tsunami this time, or whether they should be built only in, on higher grounds where they would be uh, safe from a, a repeat uh, disaster of these proportions. And then there's questions about the sustainability uh, of the area economically. It has been in, in, in demographic and economic decline for some time. And so there's a, a feeling among a lot of people that we can't just rebuild as it was. There has to be a kind of a, a thinking uh, about creating a more sustainable economy uh, in, in the region. Mio, thank you very much indeed. And that's it for this week. My thanks to David Gardner and James Crabtree in the studio and to Muir Dickey in Tokyo. World Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. Till next week, goodbye. All right. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.